Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels. It's your favorite friend on Wednesdays, David Wheels Maxwell. I hope none of you melted out there today. It was a hot one. Uh, <clears throat> I think it got up to like 90, 92 or something. Listen, before we jump into this podcast today, I have to tell you about our sponsors. And the first one I'm going to tell you about is Falenga's Gourmet and Artisan Cotton Candy. This takes cotton candy to a whole new level. We're not just talking like the flavors you'd get at a Red Wings game or a, uh, something like that. We're talking flavors like um, um, Shirley Temple, Fireball, Banana, Pickle, all kinds of different flavors that'll tickle your taste buds. So give my friend Jennifer a look over on her Facebook page at Falenga's Gourmet and Artisan Cotton Candy. Also, if you tell her you saw this ad and you go to the public market, you'll get a dollar off your purchase. And then our newest sponsor to the podcast is Make Your Mark Home Renovation. And this is, you know, we've all been, we were all stuck in the house for so long. Maybe we were putting off those those home renovation products we had to do. Well, now it's time to do those. So you got to get a hold of friend of my, my friend Mark Schneider over at 585-613-6598. Make Your Mark Home Renovations. They do everything from kitchen cabinets to kitchen counters to uh Floors. They do everything to spruce up your house, and your house will look like you just won a million bucks when Mark is done with it. So give Mark a call, would you please, over at Make Your Mark Home Renovations. All right, I'm very excited about this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, this month is actually uh, Disability Pride Month, and uh, I have uh, Tina Fitzroy with me. Now, many of you may not know Tina. I've known Tina for a long time, since I was about four years old from uh, the UCP Center when I was a young man over there, uh, when I was, as I like to call it, baby wheels. But <laughs> Tina's got a, Tina also, like me, has cerebral palsy and has a great story. And how I, uh, although I've known Tina, how I, how I got reacquainted with Tina was I was at an engagement party and uh, a friend of hers, Nancy, was there and she said, you have to have Tina on the podcast. She's done some TED Talks and uh, Tina, how are you? Good to see you. I'm great, David, and thanks so much for asking me. I'm so excited to be here today. Absolutely. And can I just tell you, I watched your TED Talk yesterday and it was the it was phenomenal. It uh, the the. The, what I saw was 12 minutes long and it was the most, uh, I was, I was glued to it for the whole 12 minutes. So I want to jump into first, how did you get involved with the Ted talk? So I've been a public speaker for about 30 years and I've done workshops over at strong hospital and I never heard a Ted talk. But a nurse over there, who to this day I don't know, submitted my name. So I was sitting at work one day, and this email came in to me that said, we, we're Ted Talks, we'd like to interview you. Meet us at Brugger's on Monroe Avenue at 2 o'clock on Sunday. I thought, this is a real scam. I'm not doing this. No way. So I happened to be 
my, my daughter Maggie was working at a coffee shop at the time. So I stopped in there and I said, Maggie, have you ever heard of a TED Talk? She goes, yeah, why? She said, I said, I got asked to do one. She said, are you serious? You got to go. I said, it's got to be a joke at Brewer's, Mag. It can't huh. be real. She huh. said, no, go. So I took my suitcase with all my treasures and all my junk, and I went to Brewer's. And it was real. And they interviewed me, and they didn't choose me for that year. So I said, okay, you know, whatever. And the yeah. next year, they asked me if I would do a TED Talk. And the really strange part is, David, they only give you 12 minutes. So here I've been doing a workshop that lasts an hour about growing up with cerebral palsy. Right. And I had to cut it down to 12 minutes. And it was tough. That, that's amazing because, uh, first of all, I would have been with you if I got that email that said meet me at Brugger's for a <laughs> TED Talk uh, interview, you know, to see if they wanted to use you. I would have thought it was a scam as well. Brugger's just seems like a weird place to meet for something like that. But it's interesting to me <laughs> that they only give you 12 minutes and they, you had a So your 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 motivational speech, speeches are usually an hour long. So. Right. How how did you, what was the process like in breaking it down into a 12-minute segment? Well, they work with you, and I had my trunk, and my, <coughs> my husband divided it into 12 sections, and so I could just pick out what I needed. So right. I lot, and when I got up there, they have a, a, a timer in front of you. And I said, give me 13 minutes. And they said, okay. So they added a minute because I asked for it. Well, there you go. Good for you. And I wanted, because your, your motivational, uh, the one that you take on the road and you've done for, how many years have you done it for? Um, About 25. 25 years. The one that you take on the road and you, and you, you've got a website, Tina's Trunk, um, which if, and I want everybody after this podcast to go watch the TED Talk. And because, but you're, you have a trunk and you, you break your, you pretty much break your whole life down Correct. into, into sections. Now we'll just deal with the, what I saw in the TED Talk, because that's what I was able to watch, but it's very interesting. And one of the things that I, I came away from your your talk was for me as a disabled individual I stand on the backs of people like you because we've come so far in in the way disabled the way disabled people are treated um one of the first things you talk about in your TED talk was you were when you were born I think it was was it at the age of 5 you were in an institution? Right. So I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of five. Before that, 
they at the age of two, they diagnosed me with mental retardation. So there was no early intervention in those days. So when I was five, they changed my diagnosis or label or whatever we want to call it. Right. Cerebral palsy. And recommended that my mother put me in an institution in Leroy, New York. It was called Edith Hartwell Clinic. It was for children with cerebral palsy and polio. That's where, David, I learned to become a self-advocate and a brat. Yeah. And I got that. I hated it there. I didn't want to be there. So I was a residential nightmare. So I did everything the opposite of what they told me. I threw my, I wouldn't wear the helmet they told me I had to wear because all the kids had to wear a helmet and I hate a helmet. I threw my food on the floor. I slept under the bed. I spit out my medicine. 10 months after I entered, they threw me out because they couldn't control my behavior. Can I, I'm just going to stop you there because you missed one that I thought was the greatest of all the things that you did. I think you switched the clothes. Yeah. I used to get up in the middle of the night and they had little tags on the clothes in a drawer and I would pull the drawer out and change everybody's clothes. So nobody got the right clothes in the morning. So morning was chaotic. I always had my clothes. Right. Nobody else did. I literally, I literally, when you told, when you told that, when I, I heard that in, in the TED talk, I literally laughed out loud. And I, I, I thought here, here is, here's a, a little girl at the time who was willing to do whatever she had to do to, to get out of that situation. Right. Hold on one second. If you hold on one sec, I, I've lost audio. So hold on one second. Tom. Okay, we're back. Do you need to get do you need to get something to drink? We can no we can hold on for one second. Tom's gonna get it. Okay, very good. So so then you you um you leave you get kicked out of the institution and and that was the first step in in uh, becoming who you really wanted to be. Right. What was what was the next big goal for you? Well, my mother decided I was going to go to regular school. And school said I couldn't go to their school. And my mother went to bat for me. And I was the first child with a disability to ever go to Geneseo, New York. So I spent 12 years in public education, and that was a failure. There were no other kids with a disability in the school. I felt out of place. So by second grade, my dream was to become normal. If I could become normal, I could fit in. The problem is, David, nobody ever talked about the disability. So I never fit in because nobody ever knew. Here I walked 
funny. I talk funny. I use, I am terrible fine motor. I couldn't write and they gave me no services at all. Right. So I think my next big goal was around seven, learning to ride a bike. Because if you're normal, you got to learn to ride a bike. So one day I took this little red bike and walked it up the biggest hill in Geneseo, which was Center Street. Took me two and a half hours to get up there. Turned around and came down and hit every tree in coming down. And I took go a bike that had no pedals, no seat, nothing. And I needed all the band-aid. But David, three bikes later, I learned to ride a bike because I was determined. Right. And one of the one of the things you say in your TED talk, and I'm just jumping forward just a little bit, and then we're gonna we'll jump around a little bit. But yeah. one of the things you say in your TED talk is it's it's um you wanted to be seen as you first and disability second. So just just touch on that a little bit because I think that's important, Tina, and especially for me. I do go by wheels because I'm on a local radio show and and I've made quite a name for myself in that that aspect. But there is this there is this sense of you want to be seen as a person and not your disability. Right. I I I am a person first who happens to have a disability. When we have a disability and we get the label, labels don't belong on people. They belong on cans and jars. Right. We need labels, David, to get services. So I need that label to get speech, physical therapy, whatever I need to be successful. But I'm a person who happens to have a disability. I can't leave it home. I can't hide it. It goes with me wherever I go. People notice it. And what they notice first is I talk funny and Mm. I walk funny. They don't notice my strength. Now my understanding from a conversation I had with my daughter who's a sociology professor at Geneseo, is that the new generations, David, the younger kids, Mm -hmm. like to be identified by their disability. So they want to be identified as autistic person or cerebral palsy person or a wheelchair person. I don't buy it. It's it's so it's it's so interesting to me because I don't it that that I mean maybe it's the new generation and and how they think but it's you I'm so much more and you're so much more than your disability right I don't um, I don't like to be identified by my disability absolutely I'm I'm with you there one hundred percent and now I want to talk to you about because uh, like I said in your TED talk. You went through different stages. So the next stage that you um, you you talk about your mother and how she was a big advocate for you, and and then you learned to be an advocate for yourself. But the next big stage for you was learning how to drive, because that's what all your peers were doing. Right. So t- 
tell us tell us a little bit about that how what was that a challenge for you because it it was a challenge for me and something that i'm still um not successful at well at eight at 16 i they wouldn't give me a permit so at 18 i didn't need anybody to sign but i really didn't get my permit till i was about 21. Now, the permit test was simple, David, was multiple choice. I right. got 100. Driving test, not so easy. <laughs> Five driving tests later, I succeeded, and I got my license. Took me five tests. My grandmother, who also believed in me, bought, brought me a brand new Volkswagen bug the very next day, which I cracked up six months later in a snowstorm. Oh boy. When I hit a city bus. But that's another story. <laughs> you hit a city bus? Yeah, in a snowstorm. Oh. The bad. Um, and I've had lots of accidents. I oh, sure. I tend to drive too fast. People don't like to ride with me. I drive a little crazy. You've got a need for speed, Tina. You got a need yeah, for speed. You got it. I got a need for speed. But just, it's interesting to me because when you did get your license, uh, how much more freedom did that give you? It gave me immense freedom. And what I thought, David, is that it would get me friends. If I could drive, Maybe somebody would like me. Growing up, I had no friends. Nobody wanted to date me. Um, nobody wanted to be my friend. No birthday parties. You know, in high school, I just wanted to be normal and walk down the hall and hold hands with the boy. Mm. That was normal. Right. But nobody would date me. I was too different. Right. And, go ahead. And different is what we live with every day of our lives. Isn't it interesting, though, Tina, because it's interesting. I don't think you look at yourself as different and I don't look at myself as different, but it's the way the outside world looks at us. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. One th one thing I always tell and, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, actually. One when I do my motivational uh, speaking. When I talk to parents, I often say, your child is going to want to ask you questions when you're in the middle of uh, a situation that is probably not the most comfortable for you. So if a young child sees you or I walking down the middle of the mall, they may say to their mother or father, why is that person walking like that? Or why do they talk like that? Or whatever the case may be. For the parents, that's an uncomfortable situation because they don't know how to answer. So oftentimes they'll say to the child, don't look, don't stare. But all that's doing is telling the child that there's a difference between us and them and that they should treat us differently. So I often tell parents, just say, I'm not quite sure, but we'll go home and we'll look it up and we'll do some research because then that gives the child the okay to ask the questions and they don't have to be afraid of it. My theory is, have the kid go ask me. Right. Oh, come over. I mean, they could come to you and say, hey, why are you in a wheelchair? 
Right. I mean, I, I, my, my step grandson, when he was three, we were walking outside Chili's, and he looked at me and he said, "Why do you talk all drooly and walk all wobbly?" That's a three-year-old. Right. And I said, I have a disability called cerebral palsy. And he said, will it ever go away? I said, no. He said, but you're okay. But he needed to, he needed to ask the question. He my, needed to ask and he needed an answer. And right. he, You know, my grandchildren, now my children will tell you, they didn't notice a disability until somebody else brought it up. Right. So when when my son went to school, I was gonna go to PTA and be super mom and do all this. I stopped by the time he got in third grade, David, because people were saying to him, Your mother walks funny, she talks funny, she's a retard. I didn't have kids to be hurt by my disability. Right. So I stopped being Superman and stop going to school. How much, it's interesting, how much did that, how much did those things and how much did those, because I'm sure you still get stares from people like I do and people say stupid things. It yeah. happens. Uh, you know, people will, I'll just use me for an example. People will say to me, you're only on the radio because you're in a wheelchair. And I'll say to them, the reason that I got onto the radio was because I told some funny stories about being in a wheelchair and some of my experiences, and that got my foot in the door or my wheel in the door. But here I am nine years later, and I'm still on the radio, so it's not just because of the wheelchair and those funny stories anymore. But do those, when people have an adverse reaction to you to this day, does it still does it still bother you, or are you, used, are you so used to it now that you just let it roll off your back? Pisses me off. Yeah. Because we should be a point in society where people accept people. Sure. You know, kind of, you know, one day a police stopped me and he said, are you drunk? And I was walking. I wasn't driving. And I said, no, I had cerebral palsy. And he said, so what? He said, are you drunk? I said, no, I have cerebral palsy. He said, so what? And he took off. So I said, I can get a ticket for WWI, walking while intoxicated. One of my biggest goals in life is to go through a DWI roadblock. I will refuse to take a breathalyzer and I'll end up in jail. My husband said he won't bail me out. But I'm just gonna call you, David, and you can come bail me out. Well, you call me, and I'll be I'll be there as soon as I can with whatever bail money they need, because that that's another way that you and I are similar. Because I also do some stand-up comedy, and one of the things, one of the jokes I tell on stage is I can get a WWI, and I say it's wheeling while intoxicated. So when I heard that on your TED talk, it was I literally was like. We're on the same page here. We have the same sense of humor about our disability. And I also think, Tina, I think you would agree with me. If you can't laugh about it, you can't live with it, right? Right, right, right. You know, I'm 71, David, 
and I'm back in physical therapy because I started falling a lot. Uh huh. But that's just who I am. You know, I said to the, uh, my physical therapist, do I need a cane? <laughs> no, you'll kill yourself with a cane. Right. You'll trip over it or something. Um, you know, I'm not in any pain. I don't think the CB has gotten any worse. Right. Just one of the older people around who have cerebral palsy, and nobody knows what to do with me. You know, one of the greatest stories you told in your in your TED talk was, and I want you to tell the story. But one one of the what was one of the first jobs you had after you graduated college? Uh, yeah, you know. I had a college degree and I drove a Skippy ice cream truck. <laughs> was the first summer because you need a sociology degree to drive an ice cream truck. I bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. <laughs> I'm going to ask my Skippy driver next time I get it. I want to see your degree. Right. So I did that for a summer. And then I worked at Photomat for a while. And I worked at United Cerebral Palsy for a while. And then I went to the Advocacy Center, where I was an advocate for 17 years. And then I went to BOCES 1. And I worked there 11 and a half years. So I worked most of my life. I'm a mother. I'm a wife, a mother, and a grand a mother of three and a grandmother of eight. But I actually have eight stepchildren too. Wow. Wow. And that's that's another area I want to talk to. I want to talk about schooling a little bit for you when you went to college because you wanted you wanted to be a teacher. And um it's interesting to me because I, I went through some of the same things just differently. But when you wanted to become a teacher, what what was their what was the school's response to you? After a year in the program, they they um, told me I couldn't be a teacher. My speech was too poor. It would have a negative impact on children, and parents wouldn't like it. So they told me I had to get out of the program. Or they would flunk me. Because without student teaching, you can't um, get a teaching degree. So I went back to college and I got a degree in sociology that qualifies you to do nothing. <laughs> but yet you but yet you've done so much and you continue to do so much. Uh I want to talk to you because in the TED talk you talked about you the next one of the next goals after getting your driver's license and getting a degree was getting married and um it's so interesting to me because i as a disabled uh young man have struggled with uh relationships in the past and and the same sense that you have of of fitting in but I want you to talk about in your TED talk how you talked about that was your next step. But and so what did you do? You you 
I'm so, going to let you take over from there because I want, it's very, it's a very interesting part of your story. So I thought, David, if I read, if I read Family Circle and got married, I would be normal. So I married the first jackass that <laughs> asked me. And he, he was an alcoholic. And he abused me. I need a survivor of 20 years of domestic abuse. Wow. Physically, sexually, and emotionally. Wow. Um, he was a terrible man. Um, I had three children with him. And, I, and after 18 years, I threw him out. And that was the last normal thing I did. I got divorced. <laughs> That's my biggest treasure. 23 years ago, I got remarried for every right reason in the book. Tom and I celebrated our 23-year anniversary on Monday. I was 43 when I met Tom. First time in my life I've ever had a best friend. Think about that. Yeah. Never had friends. Because I, I had lots of acquaintances, but I didn't have any best friends. It's it's so interesting because I say that. I say that all that. Now, I have, I have best friends now. <clears throat> Some of them are probably watching this podcast. But all going through high school, uh, uh, I would often say I have a lot of acquaintances, but I don't have a lot of – I don't have – there wasn't anybody that wasn't willing to pick me up and take me to the party down the street. Right. No prom, no ball. Um, it was just, it was lonely growing up. I still have, I don't think I still have a lot of friends. I definitely have a lot of acquaintances, but I'm not sure I got a lot of best friends. You know, I got my children. And they all love me, and my grandchildren adore me. Um, they all tell me I don't act like I'm 71, which is good. That's um, great. You know, and I still do. I still do most of everything. But the first marriage, I was in a I was normal, and he was yes. just a terrible, terrible human being. Now, so it's interesting to me, and when we talked before, you said nothing was off limits. So when right. you talk about the marriage, the first marriage, was it was there part of you that was like you stuck you stuck it out, not only because it's hard to get out of an abusive relationship, but because with your disability, was there a thought like I'm never gonna find another person? Was that a was that a concern? I think there was some of it. He used the disability against me. He said, if you leave me, I'll go to Child Protective and I'll get the kids because you have a disability. And I didn't want the kids to go with him because he was a terrible man. Right. So I stayed out of fear. And so when I left, I promised myself two things. That I would never date anybody who had, who drank, never. 
And then I would always keep my hair short. Oh, yeah. He made me keep it long. So the day he left, or the day I threw him out, I did two things, David. I went and got a haircut, and I changed my checking account. That's that's amazing. I also want to talk about what it was like um, raising kids uh, with a disability. And also, uh, aside from the fact that your first husband was not good to you at all, but it also it has to be difficult raising children when you have physical limitations. So what kind of things, what kind of adaptations did you make so that it was easier? What kind of things did you, and was there also some nervousness becoming a mother for the first time with a disability? Well, I remember when I had Aaron. Aaron is my oldest. So when I had him, they wouldn't let me have him in the hospital room by myself because they were afraid I was going to drop him. I tell them I should have, but I didn't. (laughs) Um, You know, I really didn't have a lot of adaptation, and I did 99% of the child care. Um, I remember the hardest thing for me was giving them a bath because they were slippery. And so I had to have help or they had these old chairs that were like, you could sit them in. And what I would do is take the, the, the padded seat out and just put them in the chairs so the water would go all around them and strap them in. So I made my own adaptations. My children, from the time they were, they could talk, no, I would say mommy has a disability. It's cerebral palsy. But to them, they never, ever questioned it until somebody else said, why does your mother talk funny? Why does your mother walk funny? And then it would dawn on them. Now they're very protective of me. My youngest one, Maggie, will tell you that if you say anything about her mother, she'd probably knock you out first and then talk to you. Mm. But they're all very accepting. They do not have a disability. My eight grandchildren do not have a disability. They all know grandma has cerebral palsy. I've never hidden it from anybody. What was hard, David, was when they went to school. Because I was always afraid child protective would come and take my kids away. So they went to school and no holes in your clothes, nothing. Their hair was braided. My, my girl said, cut my hair, you braid it, because braiding was hard. Right. Um. Uh, you know, they, they had to wash their face and hands. I was always afraid of child protective. So I don't know if I ever relaxed being a mom until they were all 18. But now it's probably great being a grandma, right? Yeah. Because you get to have fun with them and then you get to send them home too, right? right. 
Right. And they yeah. are, they are, my oldest is 22 and thinks the world of me. Um, she would do anything in the world for me. So they're all very, very close to me. Isn't it interesting? And you have a, you have a very interesting, you'll have an interesting perspective on this that even I don't have. But how have we, how have we as a disabled community, because you've been an advocate for so long. So how long, how have we as a disabled community, how have we come all these years? How have things changed maybe for the better? And where can they get even, where can we, where can we make better changes for people with disabilities? I'm not sure things have changed a lot, David. We are doing more inclusion, but I think kids are still not accepted. I think um, school's a little easier, but you know, I still go out in public and get stared at. I, just the other day, I made a phone call to see if Walgreens had a medicine my husband needed. And they couldn't understand me. So they hung up on me. So I decided to go down and see if there was music that. So as I walked in, I heard them talking behind the counter. This drunk lady called on the phone. I couldn't understand her. She wanted something, but she hung up on us. I knew they were talking about me. Right. And I yeah. I sat there a minute and I said, do I say anything or do I just walk out? And I decided to just walk out. Um, I wish I had said something. I wish I had said, you know what, girl, that lady you're talking about is me. I wish I had said that, but you don't right. think about it in the moment. Or when we go out to dinner, and they'll say to Tom, what does she want for dinner? Oh, that and, happens to me all the time. Right. So I'm not <laughs> sure, David, society has changed all that much. I think we want to think it has. But I still think people with disabilities is the most silent minority there is. It's interesting then. So if you don't think things have changed that much and and maybe in a sense, uh, you know, I can only live through my experience and, and you, you, you have lived uh, a longer life than I have. And you've, you've seen things when schools weren't access accessible and, and you were put it like I listening to your Ted talk when you were talking about the institution, I was thinking I could never even imagine not being with my mom or my dad or my family all the time. So that to me was, I guess to me, that's where I think things have changed for the better because we're not seeing that as much. But then I, when I hear you say things really haven't changed. So my next question for you then is, what do you think we have to do to, to make the changes? How do we, how do we change people's perception and perspective of who we are as a, as a, as a group of people? And we're not just talking about people with cerebral palsy because there's all kinds of disabilities out there but how do we change people's perspectives i think we get out there and we do what we're doing right now david we're educating 
you know, parents have a different perspective than we do, okay? And I don't think there's a lot of people with disabilities out there telling their story. And I think we need more of that. I think we need more people working. We see, we need to see schools be more inclusive. We need to see jobs being more inclusive. We need to see more people out in public who have a disability. We need people to ask us, hey, what's your disability? Instead of saying, do you need help? What's wrong with you? You know, I was in Wiggins one day and a guy said to me, are you drunk? I said, no. He said, I said, I had cerebral palsy. And he said to me, where did you get it? Right. And I wanted to say in the cereal aisle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people just, number one, we don't marry. We don't date. We're supposed to be asexual. We live in group homes. There just is not a lot of contact. You go to a day program, you go home. Or you or your tree is you take a ride on the bus right for the night. You know, I I just think more people need to be out in public doing workshops, talking, just showing that we're regular people who have and have a disability. Am I different? Yep. There's no doubt about it. But somebody else could be just, could be different and just as invisible. Yeah, and let me tell you, uh, it's interesting to me because I'm thinking back as I'm talking to you and being someone who doesn't drive a car, <clears throat> and I've told that story on this podcast many times why I don't drive. Uh, uh, real quick for people that, that may not know the story, I went to... Uh, Rochester Rehabilitation is in in Rochester is where you go to learn to drive. And the very first time I got behind the wheel, <clears throat> I wasn't even behind the wheel. I was in the passenger seat, and they backed the or they backed the car up, and the whole passenger seat tipped over backwards with me in it. And uh, my instructor at the time was six months pregnant and couldn't bend down to help me undo my seatbelt. So I had to climb to the I had to crawl over to the bench seat in the back get up onto the bench seat, calm her down. She went out and got her boss. And then he comes out and he goes, I hope you know this doesn't count as your first lesson. I go, my first lesson, you ought to just give me my license because I could handle a 10-car pileup. Right. And then I went back about six months later. I got a brand new instructor. They put me in the way back of the van, Tina, in my wheelchair, strapped me down to the floor. He gets in the front seat, backs the car up about three inches, and the whole wheelchair tips over backwards with me in it. Why? And uh, because they didn't tie me down to the floor properly. And um, I got to be honest with you, like uh, that shattered my confidence and I never wanted to go back and, and learn to drive. And since then, because of my cerebral palsy and I'm very spastic and I jump very easily and get startled very easily, I don't know that it's a good idea that I get behind the wheel of a car because I'm afraid I might end up three lanes over from where I'm supposed to and cause an accident. 
So that's always in the back of your mind too. But with Uber and everything now, it's so much easier for me to get her. I can pretty much go wherever I want, you know, with Uber. So in that way, we made strides. But yeah. the way people treat treat us is the, is very, is not. It's kind of it's sad. Because people aren't exposed to disabilities. You know, David speaking, I, I, I uh, read this article. The reason you startle is that babies are born with a startle reflex. And it usually goes away by six months. But people with cerebral palsy never get rid of it. Yeah. And it, I and I you could I, come up behind you could come up behind me, Tina, in the softest voice ever and say hello to me. And if I don't know you're there and you say hello, I jump right out of my skin and uh Yep. I mean it could be it's sometimes it could be funny, but other times it's it's not always the best. Well, if I, you know, you scare me and I lose my balance and I fall down. Right. That's too funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's uh, talking about, uh, let's talk, let's talk about some positive things though. So we talked about how things need to, we need to change in the better, but um, advocacy wise, cause you did it. Are you still doing it now? Yeah, I do once in a while if parents call me. I help with Social Security and guardianship. Um, I retired 11 and a half years ago. So, you know, I still get the phone calls from parents who've known me for years. What should I do? How should I do this? And I, and I love it. I still helping people get the things they need. You know, I think the education system is definitely better than when I went to school. Sure. Um, if I went to school now, I probably would have passed my regents with them. It's so interesting because you said in your TED Talk that one of the reasons you didn't pass them was because you needed extra time and they didn't give you the extra time. When I went to school and you know all about IEPs and IEP meetings and and all that stuff. I had an IEP and it said in the IEP that I would get extra time. So, but those were all things that my parents had to fight for with a with a parent advocate and then my mom became a parent advocate and and all of that. But uh is it so you say schools have gotten better, but do you also think we talk about we talk about we talked about how people treat us, but I also find now that when I'm around younger people, like littler kids, they don't because I think they're they see it more now on TV and stuff like that, so they're more used to it. Is that what you is that what you're seeing a little bit of? I think I think the grade schools, but then you hit the junior high, and it's no better than it was. I mean, I do all the fifth grade in Penfield every year. So they get a dose before they hit junior high. Um, if we can hit them early, the problem is, I think teachers, if they have a kid in their classroom that has a disability, they need to talk about it. You know, David's in a wheelchair. You need to, I went to third grade class once 
and they had a job list. And one of the job lists for the week was to push the wheelchair. And I said, that's not a job. Get it off there. Anybody who wants to push the wheelchair, right. push it. It's not a job. So we need to change that attitude that people with disabilities are not jobs. They don't need extra. I mean, you might need extra help, but you're not in a job. Right, yeah. Really frustrated with that. Yeah, it's, uh, I just did a, I just did a, a talk over in Spencerport uh, uh, for, they had a whole disability awareness week and uh, I was the last speaker to come in at, at, uh, at the end of the week. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because at the end of the talk, you understand whether the kids get or not because they all raise their hands and then they all want to tell you how they at one point were disabled because right. you know what I mean? But in a sense, that's good, right, Tina? Because they then they have an understanding of, of, what, it is. of what it is. You know what I say? Yep. You, you had a broken leg. You had a temporary disability. Right. I have a disability forever. Right. So you got, and I always try to say you can't catch a disability. They're not contagious. And then I say, if anybody wants it, let me know and I'll mail it to you. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I'll hand. I'll give it, it to you. You yeah. want to take it. Yeah. It's interesting too because with our disability, cerebral palsy, it comes in so many different shapes and sizes. Right. So you don't use a wheelchair. You you can you can ambulatory get around and and all that. Um, where I need a wheelchair, um, and I think that's what throws people off about our disability is because it comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And yet, David, your speech is so much better than mine. That that's amazing. But I've also had four surgeries on right. my vocal cords. And they can't figure out what to do with it. And going back to the uh, ENT on Friday, but they've done four different surgeries on my vocal cords because they said they atrophied. But they keep trying to do stuff that they've never done in anybody with cerebral palsy. And they make it worse. And the doctor says, we don't understand it. This works with people with Parkinson's. Why won't it work with you? I said, I don't know. Right. Let me ask you this, and we only have a little bit of time, but let me ask you this. And it's going, for some people, it might sound like a weird question, but it's, it, because I often think of this with my disability. What is one, what is one thing that your disability has has given you or taught you that maybe somebody with a disability that I always look at it. Like, do I, would I want this disability? No. If I had a choice, you know, would I, like you said, if somebody else wanted, I'd give it to them. Right. But you can't, but I also think my disability has given me. So put me in so many different situations that I wouldn't have been in if it wasn't for my disability. 
Do you have any moments like that? When I was younger, I used to say, if they had a pill that I could take and it would make me normal for normal, but it you run the risk of getting cancer in 10 years, I take it. Okay? Today, today I would never do that, David, because I like who I am. Right. I'm a person first who has a disability. I don't know who I would be without this disability. It's given me strength. It's given me determination. It's definitely given me a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and it's just who I am. And are there days I'm frustrated? Absolutely. When I break that glass in the kitchen sink because my hand spazzed out. I definitely am, you know, I say, why me? I right. hate it. But that, that is momentary. Right. You know, I got a wonderful husband who loves me for who I am. I got three great children. I got a sister who is one of my best friends. What more? I, don't, I have a teacher that I've known 62 years that considers me part of her family. I right. see her, I go camping with her. She sees my abilities, not my disability. When I see you, David, I don't see cerebral palsy. I see David, who 41, and he's a great guy. You know, he's got a lot of strength. He's done a lot in his life. I remember you when you were little in that wheelchair. We used yeah. to, we would try to get you to hold your head up, David. Hold your head up. <laughs> my mom, my mom, occasionally when I'm looking at my cell phone, will still yell at me and say, "David, hold your head up." Yeah, but you know we are who we are. I I wouldn't change who I am. It's it's so interesting, Tina. Because I say the same thing. In fact, I had an interview years ago with another friend of mine and a friend of yours that you know. And I, the only reason I know that you know this person is because through a Facebook, I saw you talking with his wife, uh, Mr. Gage from, from BOCES. And uh, I had an interview for an internship at WXXI. And the person that came to, in, to interview me for the internship said to me, if you had three wishes, what would they be? And I rattled them off really quickly. And I don't remember what they were now, but <clears throat> what I remember him saying to me at the end of that was, wow, I'm surprised you didn't say you wished you could walk. And I looked at him and I said, I, I, I mean, there are times that I wish I could walk, but in my everyday life, I don't wish that. I go... And I don't have time to wish it because I'm, I'm just living my life. So it, that's just interesting that we have the same take on that, just in a different way. You know, I guess, David, if I could change one thing about me, I would definitely change my speech. Because I can't pick up a phone. I can't talk to anybody. 
without somebody knowing I'm different. Right. Or I have a disability. <clears throat> but other than that, I wouldn't change it. You know, I walk like I'm drunk. Oh, well, you know, my hands don't move the way I want them. Oh, well. But you know what? I own my house. I drive a car. I do everything everybody else does. Maybe I, you know what, David? We do things differently. The end result, I'll always just say it. Well, listen, we do them differently, but we get them done. Yes. <laughs> we get them done. And that's the most important thing. I, I think okay. I want people to take away from this podcast and listening to the two of us is, it might look differently than the way you do it, but we still do it. And we're still out there being productive members of society. Right. And We do it differently, but it, but the end result is the same. Absolutely, my friend. One last question before I let you go. And this hour has flown right by. And I thank you so much for doing this with me. I really do. It's been great and great to catch up with you and, you and I were talking yesterday about some of our old uh, friends uh, from back in the day. And I mentioned to you Mitzi Collins, who I used to love. Uh, she would come in and play music for us. And, of course, Dylan DiCarlo. Oh, uh, Dylan ran Facebook all the time. Yeah, and I just ran into Dylan a couple weeks ago, and he's doing well. And and his parents have been out to a couple of my comedy shows, and and uh, it's it's great. But one, one thing, the last question I have for you is if you could tell people, if you had, if you had one thing you wanted to tell people about uh, living with a disability or somebody with a disability, if you wanted to leave them with one message, what would that be? Treat, if you have a child with a disability, treat them as you would any other child. I don't want any special things. Because again, we're people first who have and have a disability. If you see somebody, I'm giving everybody out there permission to ask people what their disability is. So you could say to me politely, could you tell me why you talk funny? You might see David and you might sit down and get at eye level and say to David, can you tell me why you're in the wheelchair? Don't be a, don't assume. Ask if you question it, ask people what their disability is. And treat people with kindness. Treat them like you want to be treated. Say hello to them. Say goodbye. Hold doors. If we were just kind to each other, life would be better. Don't look at their challenges. Look at their strengths. We all have strengths. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I will, I will, I want to talk. I, I know I said that was my last question, but I, I want to talk to you about what you just said because it's, I, I believe like you that it's imperative of, of us as people with disabilities to help people that don't have a disability understand. But I've also run into people with disabilities that say, I don't want them to ask the questions. So that's why people with disabilities get a bad rep. Right. Because, you know, 
for every one of us that's willing to answer the question, you know, we say, come up and ask the question, but then that one parent's going to ask a question to somebody that doesn't want to answer the question, and it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. Well, you know why they don't want to be asked that question, David? Because they haven't come to terms with their disability. You You and I have come to terms with our disability. Yes, we have cerebral palsy. Yes, we do this. Yes, we do that. I went with a mother whose son had autism. The kid had no idea he had autism. None. And the mother said, you can't tell him. Well, if you deny your disability and never do any research and never understand it, and somebody asks you a question, you're going to get real angry. It's very true. And that's how people with disabilities get a bad reputation. Oh, they're mean and they're nasty. I asked them this, and they were nasty to me. You know, if a kid walks up to me and says, Tina, why do you talk funny? I have cerebral palsy. Do you have any other questions? I want to write a book like that, David. I have cerebral palsy. Do you have any other questions? That is, I want to write a children's book. That is a great title for the for a book. And yeah. let me tell you, if you if you get around to writing it, I'm gonna have you back on the podcast. And after your children and your grandchildren, I will be the first one in line to buy that book, my friend. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. This was so much fun. Let me just close out the show. Stay right there. And then you and I will talk off air for a few seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels with uh, David Maxwell and my guest, Tina Fitzroy. I hope that you walk away from this podcast with a greater understanding of of uh, disabilities. And we talked about cerebral palsy because that's what we deal with. But there are other disabilities out there. and But I hope you walk away with a better understanding that just because we have a disability doesn't make us any less of a person. And that we want to be seen as a person first and disability second. We're not running away from our disability, but we just want to be seen as the person with the disability, not just the disability. So everybody have a great rest of your Wednesday. We will see you real soon. Um, Next week, we'll have another very special guest. So stay tuned for that. Um, I have been, I just want to say this. I have occasionally been doing every other week, even though I always put something out on Facebook, but I don't always put it up on the podcasting side. Uh, So sometimes on the podcasting side, you'll only see one every other week, but stay tuned because we're going to, with more regularity, have more guests. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.